Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And welcome, everybody, to the Pod's Honest Truth with David Brody, another podcast. And that means another podcast devoted to the coronavirus, COVID-19, call it whatever you want. It's deadly, it's bad, it's invisible, and it's affecting all of our lives. Uh, Look, uh, what does my life consist of? Yes, I work. Uh, Yes, I binge on Netflix, not to mention in the refrigerator. And speaking of the refrigerator, I do a lot of walking, but mostly it's walking to the refrigerator. We have a nice comfortable relationship uh, through this coronavirus, FYI. Yes, I read the Bible as well. Sorry, I buried the lead. I should have said I I read the Bible. By the way, on the podcast today, what a wonderful transition from the Bible to Kirk Cameron. That's right, actor Kirk Cameron. Now, look, if you're over 40 years old or so, you're going to remember him. And ladies, by the way, if you're over 40, call it 45, 50 or so, Many of you may have actually had a poster of him on your wall. Be honest. Raise your hand. Okay, I see you out there. I don't really see you, obviously. But uh, he was the teen heartthrob back in the day. Uh, He starred on that hit TV show Growing Pains back in the late 80s and early 90s. Uh, Since then, though, he went from atheist to following Jesus. And boy, has he made an impact in that regard. He's now a Christian actor in Hollywood, and that is rare, folks. It's kind of like me uh, being uh, at the gym. Uh, that That is some, somewhat rare, so it's kind of like that. Uh, his story today on The Pod's Honest Truth, looking forward to catching up with him out there in California. He's going to be along to discuss his 30-day prayer challenge for the nation as we all deal, uh, obviously, with this worldwide coronavirus crisis. By the way, say that three times fast. There's your new tongue twister uh, in this day and age. Coronavirus crisis. Coronavirus. Anyhow, you can try it at home when you have some downtime. And clearly, we all have some downtime now, uh, for sure. Now, look, look, let's get some news here for you. Uh, this just in prayer works. Uh, and it looks like through this crisis, people are turning to it more than ever. So beyond Kirk Cameron on this podcast, we're going to give you some information on that. You want to stick around uh, for all of that. I don't know if you've seen this new uh, Pew Research poll. It sure shows that more than half of Americans have prayed for the end of the coronavirus. Now, as you might imagine, evangelicals, hey, that's what we do, right? We are among the most likely to say that we've prayed uh, for an end to the virus, 82% of us. Uh, But check this out, and this was really interesting. Among religious nuns, in other words, people that describe their religion as nothing in particular, 36% of them say they've prayed about the virus. That's a good sign. And among those who generally seldom or or just never pray, check this out, 15% of those folks who don't pray say they're praying. It's great news. Something is going on here. We'll get to more of that in the spiritual component here in a little bit. And by the way, then there's this, uh, searches for prayer on Google skyrocketing. 
during this coronavirus pandemic. There was an economist at the University of Copenhagen. Can I say that? Copenhagen? I, I think it sounds better that way. An economist at Copenhagen. Uh, he did this research. He found that in March of this year, searches for the word prayer hit the highest levels they've had in the past five, that, that, that's been going on for the past five years. And that is data from Google Analytics. So look, clearly God at work here through the horrible crisis. Everybody wants the coronavirus crisis to go away. But look, folks, in the midst of it, let's trust God that he's going to bring restoration and change lives because of it. All right, before we get to Kirk Cameron and prayer, I want to discuss another word that begins with P, positivity. All right. Now, specifically, I'm talking about positivity when it comes to President Trump. Now, we remember last week uh, Trump said he hoped to see and this was the quote packed churches by Easter. But then, of course, days later, he extended the guidelines for social distancing. And so here we are through at least uh, the end of April. Now, you know, you might imagine he got ripped in the media for getting ahead of the doctors. Uh, he, he wanted stuff to start opening gradually by Easter, as we said. But there is a larger point here to understand. So what we need to understand here is how Trump's brain works. I know rim shot. Go ahead, liberals. Insert your joke there. Go for it. I'll give you five seconds. I'll give you two seconds. Go ahead. Perfect. Okay, so you, you you did the joke about Trump's brain. But seriously, how does a president known for basically his bravado and can-do attitude push through in the face of this invisible enemy that, that we have seen? Now, I have known the president for over a decade, started in 2011. Actually, yeah, it was April of 2011, so almost a decade. And here's the conclusion I've come with. It all starts with the power of positive thinking when it comes to Donald Trump. Because look, Everybody knows about Trump's big best-selling book, right? The Art of the Deal. You know, he loves that book. It's better. The only book better, he says to me, is the Bible. It's like the Bible than his book. That's how he says it. Anyhow, he gets a lot of attention and PR ink on that book. But when you take a deeper dive as to how Trump actually thinks and operates, it begins, actually, with his favorite pastor, Norman Vincent Peale. I did a recent report about this for CBN. Here it is. It's a couple minutes. Have a listen. Positive thinking works wonders. To understand President Trump, you need to know all about Dr. Norman Vincent Peale. The pastor is well known for his massive best-selling book, The Power of Positive Thinking. His messages from the pulpit reflected the same theme. He can make you think differently, no longer negatively defeated, but positive. Hopeful, optimistic, victorious. For 50 years, Peel was pastor of Marble Collegiate Church in New York. For many years, Trump's parents sat in the pews listening, and so did a young Donald. The message of positivity began to take hold. One reason that the positive thinker gets positive results is he is not afraid of a problem. As a matter of fact, he finds problems exciting. He likes to take a tough, knotty problem and rip it apart and put it together again in the right manner. With a father who preached much the same philosophy, Trump became sold on it. His father, Fred, actually became good friends with Peel, and the pastor married Trump and his first wife, Ivana. Decades later, Trump told Psychology Today magazine, quote, I'm a cautious optimist, but also a firm believer in the power of being positive. I think that helped. 
I refused to be sucked into negative thinking on any level, even when the indications weren't great. That was a good lesson because I emerged on a very victorious level. It's a good way to go. And when we interviewed the future president during his run for the presidency, Peel's impact on his life was top of mind. You know, the greatest speaker I think I've ever witnessed was Dr. Norman Vincent Peale. Mm. And he would speak the power of positive thinking. He would speak so much and he'd bring it into modern day life. He'd talk about success stories and people that were successful and became alcoholics and then they conquered it. And I grew up watching that. He wasn't reading like, and I've had plenty of pastors and ministers that read. It's not the same thing. Norman Vincent Peale would get up and his arms would be flailing. And, and you hated to leave church because you wanted him to go on further. That is David Brody on the Pod's Honest Truth with David Brody. Just wanted to say that. Uh, that was my report on CBN aired across the country on the 700 Club. Here's the key point uh, to understand here. Even though that, uh, that report was pretty much about Norman Vincent Peale, uh, it's important to understand, and we threw this in there, but the father, Fred Trump, Donald Trump's father, is, is really key to all of this. Because, look, Fred Trump had this also this can-do attitude, very positive, you know, hard work, get it done. And along comes Norman Vincent Peale. At the same time, another father figure, in essence, kind of a second father figure to Donald Trump. And so you had kind of this, uh, they were working in tandem, if you will. Fred Trump and Norman Vincent Peale both talking about the power of positive thinking and hard work. You put it all together. And this is the prism in terms of how Donald Trump uh, sees the world. And that's why you see him uh, talk so much about, we're gonna do this, we can do this, it's not a problem. Uh, everything's great and wonderful, we're gonna get this done. Even when scientists and others say, well, hold on, actually it's much more dire uh, than you might think. But Donald Trump just operates in optimism and positivity because that is what has helped him accomplish so much in his life. So he's got he's got a challenge in front of him. Clearly, you have to stick with the facts. You have to stick with the scientists um, on this. And he's kind of battling himself a little bit here in terms of how he normally operates. So that is clearly a challenge uh, for this president. I would say this, that, you know, Donald Trump's not the only person uh, to rely on positivity. I mean, Ronald Reagan was known for his optimism, right? Shining city on the hill, but it wasn't just that. I mean, Ronald Reagan really, uh, in all of his speeches, most of his speeches, uh, really centered on uh, the uplifting portion and part of the American spirit and blah, blah, blah. All right, when we come back, Kirk Cameron on The Pod's Honest Truth. And welcome back, everybody, to The Pod's Honest Truth with David Brody. Time now for our interview with Kirk Cameron. If you're a Christian, you know him from movies like Fireproof, the Left Behind series, of course. As a matter of fact, even if you're not a Christian, you know him from Growing Pains back in the day. And not only that, Fireproof and the Left Behind series, it all was able to break through uh, into in essence, mainstream culture. I mean, even Nicolas Cage uh, recorded this Left Behind uh, movie after uh, Kirk Cameron's original. Anyhow, Kirk Cameron on the podcast today. He is head of CamFam Studios. It creates powerful faith projects. You may have heard some of them as a, as a believer. Uh, Monumental, Unstoppable, Revive Us, Revive Us 2. Uh, by the way, here, here's uh, something you don't see in Hollywood very often. Married nearly 30 years. That's right. That is not a typo. 
It's not three years. It's not three months. It's not three days. 30 years to his former Growing Pains co-star Chelsea Noble. They have six kids, by the way. Four of them adopted. He really is a pro-life warrior. He's going to talk about that, his spiritual journey, and, of course, his prayer challenge for the country. And by the way, you know, speaking of prayer, my coworker used to pray. I say used to pray. He still prays. I'm sorry. He's still alive. I've just written him off. My bad. My apologies. I won't name him, but uh, sorry to basically kill you there. Uh, but you're back. Resurrected. Uh, well, you're not resurrected, but you know what I'm trying to say. Anyhow, he prays like this. This is what he says. He goes, thank you, God, in advance for what you're going to do. And I love that line because it really is all about an expectant heart. But we have to get on our knees and call out to God. That's what he wants from us. He wants us all in for him. And with that said, time now for our interview with Kirk Cameron. Kirk Cameron, great to see you again, brother. Appreciate you doing Thank this. Thank you. Great to see you too. Good to talk with you. Hey, listen, uh, COVID-19, let's start with that. And, and first of all, how is everybody out there, Chelsea, the family, uh, what, what's going on? Is everybody safe out there? California has gotten hit pretty, pretty hard. Yeah, David, thank you for asking. Everybody's doing great. Uh, thank God. We're, we, uh, it's springtime. You know, we're, we're looking forward to the summertime because uh, often, uh, you know, the, the heat and, and increased humidity can actually decrease the effect of viruses like this, so I hear. Uh, and we live in the mountains, and so we've got some trails where we can walk or we're, you know, not close to anybody. But it's, it's, it's definitely... Um, extra time with the family. So a little cabin fever can set in like I'm sure it is with a lot of people, but it's, it's great opportunity for us to say, okay, like, you know, this is really what's, what's important being with each other, helping each other, reaching out to others, uh, making sure that we can uh, be there to help other people during this time of uh, uncertainty and fear. Well, that's great. And you've, your, your voice is important. Obviously it's been that way for a very long time, but especially now COVID-19 and prayer and this 30-day prayer initiative, if you will, this challenge. Can you talk a little bit about that, Kirk? I know it's very important to you. Well, I, I thought that while we have so much time with our kids, while we're uh, in shelter-in-place mode, what a great time to be praying. Um, some of us have such busy schedules that we don't take time to pray, or we feel like we don't have a whole lot of time to pray, uh, to put that on the schedule, but now we do. So I thought, let's pray together for 30 days and see what happens. Mm. And, and I know because I, I like to be a student of history, that, that oftentimes uh, great things, great moves of God can happen because of concentrated prayer. Revival can break out. Yeah. Uh, for example, uh, in 1857, they called it the Panic of 1857 when the New York Times stock market crashed. There was such financial distress that it sent some people into a little Reformed church to start praying. And we now know that in history as the Third Great Awakening. Uh, in 1947, there was the Hebrides Revival, which uh, began in a little island, of uh, the Hebrides Island off of Scotland, just after World War II. And some ladies started praying. Henrietta Mears comes out of that uh, Hebrides Revival, and she ends up inspiring and mentoring Billy Graham, um, uh, Bill Bright, and Dr. James Kennedy, D. James mm -hmm. Kennedy. So all kinds of great things can happen during times of financial distress, times of uh, depression, recession, when people are really, really concerned, fearful, and anxious about the future. It causes them to, to seek God. Let me ask you a little bit about uh, some tips or suggestions on how people create that discipline to, to do exactly what you want them to do, because I think that's, that's part of the challenge for a lot of folks to say, hey, it sounds great on paper, and then they do a day or two, and kind of like yeah. fireproof, right? That 40-day challenge, you know, it's, you, know you have yeah. to kind of get through it, and, and it, it can be 
it can be challenging for folks, but though you mentioned this is a great time because we're not as busy with our lives. Yeah, I, I don't have a, a one-size-fits-all plan for prayer, but I know that when I put it out there on the internet, hey, everybody, we're praying live at 6 p.m. Uh, every single day for 30 days. Well, now I'm on the hook. I've got to do it. So uh, <laughs> sometimes it's uh, maybe you found if you teach something at, uh, at church or, or at school or you have a weekly appointment with your, with your, uh, your gym coach, you're more likely to show up than if you were to just work uh, at home or study it, work out at home or study at home. So I would say put something out there with other people and, and now you're accountable. And I find that that's, that's helpful for me. Uh, before I, I started this um, 30 day, I'm calling it faith strong, yep. 30 day pandemic prayer plan. Uh, you know, I wake up early in the morning and it's just part of my morning routine. So I, I make a cup of coffee and I take time to read my, my uh, morning and evening Spurgeon devotional and I pray. And that's just a habit that I try to build into the day because you're right. Uh, otherwise, the, 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 the tyranny of everything else urgent can crowd prayer right out, right out the door. You know, I saw that video that you posted. I think it was a seven-minute video or so. You're sitting on your porch. I think you had made some, or you said you just did a campfire and all that. And then you you oh, talked yeah. yeah you talked about how uh, look we're we're in a time now where you go to the grocery store, you go here and there, and everybody's got masks on and like this fear this fear that just seems to be kind of. Uh, inescapable for some folks, but we know those in the Lord uh, who also obviously struggle with it. What, what do you say to folks to kind of work through that fear uh, from a biblical perspective, Kirk? Well, I have a, first of all, I say it's understandable. You know, none of us like uncertainty. Uh, I, I, yeah. I like to know, I like to be able to read the script so that I know what, how the story starts. I, I know where the challenges are, but then I know how it ends. Mm -hmm. And in life, it's not really like that. I mean, we know the end end, uh, heaven. We know the, the big victory in the end. But um, that's why I think prayer is so important to battle fear. Um, the Bible says to fear not because God is with us, that uh, he will uphold us, he will strengthen us, and he will help us. But it's not always that easy. And, and prayer, I think, is, uh, I mean, think of Jesus. Think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, the Bible even says that he, uh, that he was honored because he, he feared. He was, or he was heard by God because he feared. And, uh, you know, we could talk about exactly what that means. How did Jesus fear? Uh, you know, surely there, there are things in our life that cause us to fear, that will drop us to our knees and send us into prayer. And I think that's where we, we say, God, give me your perspective because my perspective leaves me anxious. Help me see the world from your perspective, from heaven's vantage point, uh, so that I can stay right side up in a world that looks upside down. Mm. And I think that's what prayer is. It's not manipulating God. It's not just repeating a mantra of lots of words. I think it's aligning my heart and mind with the heart of God. And remembering that he is in control, he is at work, and he is going to produce something through these fearful times, through these intimidating circumstances that might not get produced otherwise. Hmm. So that's the but, kind of thing I try to think about. Well, that's interesting. I was just going to ask you that. Are you looking forward to the, you know, what is God up to here exactly? You know, uh, the, the dot, 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 if you will, as to what all of this means, because this isn't just for kicks, so to speak. This isn't just to put people through pain and torture and sadness and losing loved ones. And I'm just wondering if you might want to 
talk a little bit about that, about how yeah. God can really work through something like this. Yeah, David, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, I, uh, up until a few days ago, I didn't know anyone personally who had the COVID-19, mm -hmm. but now I do. And I have friends who now know, know some people. And, uh, you know, this is being called SARS-2 uh, by the uh, Department of Homeland Security. Um, we, we, we've heard corona and, and, um, and COVID-19, but it's actually caused apparently by uh, the severe acute respiratory syndrome uh, 2. And so it's a cousin of the original SARS virus back in 2002, 2003, but it's more vicious, it's more aggressive, and it, it apparently does more damage. And now that I know some people who are struggling with it personally, uh, it's, it, I think it's, it, it's become more real to me. Hmm. And so I want to pray for them. And, and, I, and I think it's, it's harder for people who are in the midst of that kind of pressure, uh, you know, mentally, physically, and, and, and in their lungs, uh, struggling with this to see the good in all of it. God, why are you letting this happen? Mm -hmm. But you know, that's why it's important to go to God's word because in his word, which is always true, which is always trustworthy, he says he works all things together for good for those who love him. Mm -hmm. And that, uh, uh, that everything that comes to us is first sifted through the hands of God. And so we can trust him. Uh, I, I love how Charles Spurgeon used to say, um, when I can't trace the hand of God, in my circumstances, I can still trust his heart. Hmm. And when I look at the cross, I can say, how did that make sense? How did the most innocent, good, uh, loving, spiritual person that ever lived end up nailed to a Roman execution uh, post? Hmm. And yet God was behind that, working the salvation of guys like you and me. I couldn't have seen that in the, in, nobody could see that in the circumstances unless you had the eyes of faith and you knew the scriptures. So I think that's what we need to do. We need to know God's word and through the eyes of faith, grab hold of the kindness and the mercy and the goodness of God and say, even though I don't understand what's going on, I can still trust his purposes. Kirk, I, I know some of your story, obviously we've talked before, but for those who don't know a little bit about your story, about how you grew up, in essence, an, an atheist, uh, and, and then here you are, uh, such a powerful and influential voice in, in uh, evangelical Christianity. Can you tell, tell folks a little bit about your journey? I mean, I know there's the Reader's Digest version, then there's the uh, yeah. you know, six-hour sermon version, but, but maybe somewhere, maybe not even in between, but a little on the shorter end, but give me a sense of what that's been like for you. Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Well, it's an honor to be to be talking with you, and thanks for giving me a a, a platform to be able to share these kinds of stories. I love to share the, the story of how God turned my life around and is continuing to do that. It kind of reads like a movie script. Uh, I was an atheist in Hollywood. I never was looking for God. Um, um, uh, a mentor of mine reminded me uh, one day after I had come to faith in God. He said, "Hey, Kirk, if anyone ever asks you how you found God in Hollywood," Uh, let me remind you, you didn't find God. He wasn't lost. Mm -hmm. You were, and he found you. And uh, that, that, that's my story. So the story is, at 17 years old, I was a, a, a proud atheist on a television show called Growing Pains. I really wasn't interested in religion. I thought that would just be a wet blanket on all the fun that I was having. But then somebody took me to church, and, and I was reminded that one day I would die, and I would stand before the one who gave me all this all these blessings in my life, my, my, my life, my family, my health, my career, everything. And uh, I knew that I had never so much as said thank you to God uh, because I didn't believe in his existence. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, if there was a heaven, I knew that I wouldn't be going. And so 
I, I remembered sitting in my sports car one day on parked on the side of the road, thinking about the fact that, that, that I could get hit by a drunk driver at any moment. And, and all of this could become a reality for me. And so I decided to pray. I'd never done it before as an atheist, uh, but I knew people closed their eyes and bowed their heads. And so I did that. And I just said, God, if you're there, I want to know if you're real, please show me. I don't know whether it's Christianity or Judaism or, or Islam or it's uh, some new age movement or I, I don't know anything about that. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm Mike Seaver. Uh, all, all I know is how to sneak out of the house when my parents aren't looking. <laughs> and so, uh, but show me the way and, and change my heart and help me to help me to be the man you want me to be. Mm. And after that, uh, someone gave me a Bible. I started going to church. And the more I read the scriptures, the more I became convinced that Jesus really was the son of God, that he really rose from the grave and all the evidence, both in history and archaeology and philosophy, guys like Ravi Zacharias and Josh McDowell and so many others helped me to say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put my trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And then I started to change on the inside. Mm. And uh, I look back 35 years later and say, I think that's the best decision that, uh, that ever happened to me. And I'm so thankful. Well, I can, I can confirm that millions and millions of, of folks all around the country uh, who watch, whether it be the Left Behind series, Fireproof, everything you're doing uh, in, in the uh, movie industry, and it's not the, the, the secular movie industry, but it's, uh, boy, it's such an important movie industry out there. What do you make of the fact that you really were, if you think about it, a, looking back, a trendsetter for a lot of what we see today? <laughs> The Christian films that were, were were being put on the big big screen now. I mean, you you were there at the beginning, Kirk. Well, that's yes, uh, yes. In some ways, yes. It's funny when you call me a trendsetter. You know, I'm I'm like the last guy. You know, when it comes to clothing, I, I ain't no trendsetter. My kids would, would they would just they would just do this. They would say, "Dad." So, uh, but when it comes to movies, yes, yeah, some of the early Christian movies, uh, Left Behind among them, uh, and, and others. We're just sort of emerging, and I'm so glad that people have jumped on and made more and more, uh, especially when, when Mel Gibson made The Passion of the Christ, yeah. and we've had more since then, the Irwin brothers and the Kendrick brothers and others. The quality's been getting better, um, the quality of the scripts, the quality of the acting, the quality of the films, and, and I'm really excited about the new projects coming out. In fact, uh, I have an opportunity to be a part of uh, a new one that I'm going to be uh, producing with some seasoned filmmakers. And it's going to be all about the subject of pro-life and adoption, which is really close to my heart, see, seeing as my wife and I uh, have adopted four of our kids. Right. And uh, it's going to be a really, uh, really inspiring story, hopefully coming out sometime next year. Hmm. How is it out there in California to be dealing with, um, you know, how do I say this? You know, there's liberals everywhere, the actors, the, that scene. I, that's not your scene. I get it. But, you know, it's... Uh, you know, what do you make of, of that scene? And we've, we've seen a lot more celebrities come talk about God. And obviously, the, the, the proof is in the fruit. But, you know, what, what do you make of uh, some of the more, more of the God talk out there in Hollywood? <laughs> yeah, you know, what's interesting, David, is that there is, more, um, there is more God talk because of the coronavirus going on. You know, mm -hmm. people, people who were maybe not so interested in our prayers are now welcoming our prayers because of the crisis that's going on. And people are really turning their hearts to God and they're looking for those who talk to him often. 
So I think this is a great opportunity for us. And I, I also thought it was uh, ironic, but also uh, terrific to hear people like uh, governors of states and uh, senators and Congress people saying things on television, on news, uh, like every life is important. You know, we, we, we're not going to uh, you know, disc discount anyone based on their age. We're not gonna discount them based on their, uh, uh, you know, their, their health conditions or uh, ability to, to survive on their own or anything like that. And I think, wow, all these people, they might be coming pro-life. <laughs> Just listen to them talk. I don't think that's what they were thinking. But you know, the, the logic starts to kick in. Every life is important, regardless of age, regardless of, of location and ability to take care of themselves. Uh, we all need help. And, and that includes the lives of the unborn. So who knows, There's, there may be more good things coming out of this coronavirus than we realize. My last question to you, just your, your prayer for the country, your prayer for folks out there that are dealing with all of this. And what is a, a prayer that, that, that you're praying to God about, about all of this as we move through this crisis that, let's be honest, none of us have ever seen anything like this in our lifetimes? No. So when you ask me that question, it's making me think about John Piper, uh, the Baptist minister uh, in Minneapolis, and, or Minnesota, I believe he's in Minneapolis. Anyway, he wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Cancer. And when I think of what he meant by that, what he meant is, here's the reality, I have cancer. I don't want to just get past this and, and, and get to a place where it was like this never happened to me. Mm -hmm. I want to make the most of my journey through cancer for the, for the sake of the kingdom of God. I, I want to grow through this. I want to become different through this. And I think that's my prayer for the nation is let's not waste the coronavirus. Hmm. Let's not waste the fact that we're in this and with God's help, we can come out better than we were before we went into it. Not like let's just get it behind us so that uh, we can act like it never happened. But we can look back and say, thank God for the things we learned and the ways that we grew because of this crisis that we went through. Uh, it was painful. It was difficult. And uh, for some of us, that's gonna, we're going to feel that pain more personally than others. But let it make us more compassionate. Let it make us wiser. Let it make us seek God and, 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 and turn from wrong ways to right ways. Let's ask him to hear our prayers and heal our land. And... And, and make us a city, uh, a nation that's like a city shining on a hill to the rest of the world in terms of morality, in terms of spirituality, and, and all the other categories that count. Just wonderful. 30 days strong, uh, faith strong, I should say. Where do we, uh, if people want more information, uh, how do they go about getting that? Um... Kirk, just so I'm not the most uh, social media savvy guy, but if you can follow, will tell you. <laughs> that's right. And if you don't know how to do this, ask your kids. They'll um, just uh, follow me on Instagram, follow me on Facebook, and I'm I'm praying uh, on on both of those platforms right around 6 p.m. Pacific time every day. Kirk Cameron, always a pleasure to see you. Thank you. Stay safe out there. Give our best to Chelsea. Thanks, David. You too. God bless you. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.
That is Kirk Cameron here on the Pod's Honest Truth. Really appreciate Kirk for taking uh, some time out of his schedule to do that from California. Hey, some final words and perspective on what we're going through here uh, during this day and age of the coronavirus. But, you know, rather than me explain it, I want you to hear a few minutes now from Pastor Tony Evans. He's one of my favorites uh, down in Dallas, Texas, and he really hits the mark about what's going on. And this is the question he tackles. What on earth is going on? I know a lot of you wonder the same thing from a spiritual perspective. Here's Tony Evans, who shed some light on that question. But I want to state for you a very important biblical principle. If you really want to understand what on earth is going on, everything visible and physical is preceded by something invisible and spiritual. So if you want to deal with the physical, visible problem, you must identify the invisible spiritual cause. Let me say it another way. If what you see is all you see, you do not see all there is to be seen. Behind every physical reality is a spiritual reality. But if you don't get to that, I mean, look at the pandemic. People are having physical problems about something they cannot see. Until they address what they cannot see, they won't be able to fix what they really do see and feel going on in their lives, in their bodies, and being transferred to the human race. And so in Hebrews chapter 12, we read these words to help us answer the question, what on earth is going on? Beginning in verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused when he warned them on earth, much less how will we escape when we turn away from the one who warns us from heaven? And his voice shook the earth then. But now he has promised saying, yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we've received the kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. When there is a cloudy, threatening day, the weatherman gets a lot of attention because what we want to know is what the weatherman sees given what the atmosphere looks like. What does he see that we need to know about? Is it going to rain? Do I need an umbrella? Do I need a raincoat? Is it going to be cold? We, we shift how we operate based on what the weatherman has to say. God is talking. And one of the ways God speaks is through allowing circumstances into our lives and into our world that are not pleasant. He allows those circumstances to get our undivided attention. It's a wake-up call. It's sort of like your alarm clock going off. When your alarm clock goes off and wakes you up, it brings you out of one reality of slumber and sleep into a new reality of alertness.
The further you remove God from a life, a family, and a culture, the more chaotic things will become. And so oftentimes in the Bible and in the world, God will shake things. What does the Bible mean by shaking? Shaking means when God allows disruption in the normal order of things. Life is going along like you prefer it, like you want it, like you desire it, like you love it. And all of a sudden there is an interruption in the affairs of normalcy. That's what God does all through the Bible. He would shake things up when he wanted to get our undivided attention. The text that we read says, don't turn away from him who is speaking and you know he's speaking because you've been shaken. Your world has been disrupted. This pandemic has disrupted our lives, our work, our play, our sports, our travel, our fun. It has disrupted our gatherings. It has turned what was normal and made it abnormal. In fact, it's made it in some sectors very, very dangerous. But this is a grand opportunity to return to the God who allowed the shaking to occur because the text says when God allows the shaking, it is because he's trying to get our undivided attention, which means we have wandered from him. We have marginalized him. We have gotten idols, which is any noun, any person, place, thing, or thought that you look to as your source. <laughs> We've gotten something to replace him. God is not just interested in us singing a song, God bless America. <laughs> He's not interested in only a pledge of allegiance to a nation. He's interested in a pledge of allegiance to himself. And when he detects that he is being marginalized and we're more interested in blessing America or blessing something else rather than blessing him, he will allow us a disruption. But the reason he allows a disruption is because he wants to create a new opportunity for his favor. That's why I love Lamentations chapter 3, verses 31 to 33, which says God will allow grief so that we might return to him. So he allows a bad day so that we can desire the sunshine again. And he has the sunshine ready to break forth. It's sort of like a, a mother in labor. That's a painful situation. Uh, the labor part is not desirable. Now, I don't know that by experience, but that's what I'm told. <laughs> that a labor uh, period is not what you, you would prefer. But when you know what's coming from the labor, when you know that bursting out of this is new life and new opportunity and new growth, then all of a sudden, the labor is good news in a bad situation. That is great wisdom from Pastor Tony Evans down in Dallas. And just so we are clear, God is not sending this to inflict damage and suffering on people. He's not doing this for kicks, folks. No, God allows it in order to accomplish a spiritual purpose. And now we wait for the dot, dot, dot. And that, my friends, is the Pod's Honest Truth. Until next time, America.